Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Welcome to another episode of Existential. I'm like... I don't know. I'm so. This is my happy place. Well, this in the golf course, but this is like if I could do a podcast from the golf course. In fact, guys, you know what? I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do a podcast from the golf course. That would be like the the happy place within a happy place, like a dream within a dream. Uh, I, I can't wait to do that. But I'm I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, a couple of things before we get started with our guest today. If you have not yet become a part of the Patreon community, you can do that for like any amount at all. It's not really about the money. It's just how Patreon is set up to be a part of that community. But I just love to connect with you in that way. We have like monthly uh, times that we gather. We're about to start doing some like in-person gatherings. So I would love to be able to connect with you in that way um, uh, via Patreon. But uh, if you've not signed up yet, you can sign up today. The link is in the show notes of this and every episode. Um, But, you know, do that. Hopefully you uh, can find your way to that link and find your way into that community. Today, we have with us uh, Kevin Sweeney from Hawaii, who is an author of a new book called The Making of a Mystic, My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. Uh, Kevin, this is a long time coming. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast, man. How you doing? Good, man. And you know, when, when Corey says it's a long time coming, it means I've been harassing him and hitting him up for a long time. And he's, he, gracious, he graciously, patient man, and graciously responded like, you know what, just for the persistence itself, I'm going to respond to him. Just so. because you just kept knocking. I was, no, man, I, I like, I'm always interested in having interesting conversations, man. You know, like I have, um, you know, a... One of the things that I've not expected from having a podcast is that people would reach out to be on it. Mm. And I, you know, and there's been some people I'm like, I'm just not that interested in what you're talking about. You know, Uh, not that it's not great. It's just not interesting. But like when I got into what you were talking about, I was like, hell yeah. (laughs) Like, let's Mm. let's have that conversation because it's it's fascinating. Not to not to mention the fact that you live in a beautiful place that I've never been to. I haven't been there yet. So, Mm. you know, what's up with Hawaii, man? Like, do you like living there? I've heard that like, you know, you can feel trapped because it's an island. You're like there and you, you know, can't escape if you need to. Yeah, well, one, I'm grateful for you having me on besides the yeah. jokes, man. Like when you write your first book and I reach out to people, because I mean, that is that for me, that's an, a, a part of the hustle I embrace of like, I'm yeah. going to reach out to everybody, you know, and, and initiate and do all that stuff. And for anybody to have you on, it's them taking a risk when you are a first-time author. It's not like, oh, I've, right, all my right. friends have friends I know vouch for him or he's been on yeah. these other yeah. hundreds of podcasts. No, right. like it's my first book, and so I'm, I'm so grateful for everybody to take that risk and have me on. So I'm, I'm grateful for your time and for the yeah, people tuning in, man. It's cool to just be with you all and wherever you are right now. So I always that's just special to me, and I'm grateful yeah. for that. Super dope, man. Hawaii, where I am. I'm in a neighborhood called Kaka'ako. It's the unofficial arts district just outside downtown Honolulu, like okay. 10 minutes from Waikiki, which is where all the tourists go. I'm on Oahu, which is like the, the main tourist, like Oahu is called the gathering place. Like I'm in the heart, I'm in the, the heart of the heart of the metro 
urban core of Honolulu. And this is my favorite place in the whole world. Wow. My wife and I both, my wife looks very local, like being here, but we're actually both from Los Angeles originally. So I grew up in Los Angeles and moved here at 18. You can, some of those stories in the book where I have this spontaneous awakening moment with God at 18 and I walked away from basketball and music and moved here and started over. That's, you can get some of those moments in the book. But to me, it's city and, and street art. We have one of the biggest street art festivals in the country here yearly in our neighborhood and you know the culture everything you want in a city in a smaller version here and like it's not as big and then two i'm on the 37th floor of my building right now two blocks from my house is tropical water some of the best surf in the world here so i'm like i started surfing 18 when i moved here my wife surfs too so i'm like city ocean urban island the the, the slower pace of the culture here mixed with some of the elements of the city that i like and for me as a person who is a guest here and who has moved here and who isn't local in the sense where i grew up here and who's clearly not you know native hawaiian to feel embraced by the people of hawaii to feel embraced by the island itself to me it's like the island herself has the capacity to wrap her arms around you and welcome Mm. you and to feel that from people here through Mm. the people here and from the place is something I cherish deeply. So I I love it out here, man. So we got to change that for you to be able to make it out. Oh yeah. We got to change that. You know, I mean, I'm I'm hoping, I I was hoping to meet a friend on this podcast and be like, you're on the West coast. It's just a five hour flight. It's easy. I know, man, but it's, it's easy to pay for. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah. Bro, I'm a, I'm doing one more event related to the book in New York in like a month. And just like for us to get to the East coast from here, it's like international travel for most people because it's like wow. 10 hours of flying. And then, you know, the cost, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, babe, to my wife, I'm like, babe, if I, when I go out there for this, like, I'm not paying for somewhere to stay. Like, I'm staying, <laughs> I'm staying somewhere for free. I'm going to figure it out because I'm going to go by myself. So I'm like, I'll crash wherever. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you were, so you were a hooper. You played, like, did you play high school, college? You were, my like, whole you played, life. you played, no, I, played I like, you I really played. Okay. And I okay. worked my young life to get to a point to be able to play in college and walked away from it Mm. when it was all everything like everything that's all in the book for people to read it so i won't get into all the details now but i put myself in a position where you know i was young and playing aau i was one of the leading scorers in southern california this is like me and trevor ariza the same year so it was like that era of la of la basketball okay where i was like really really like this is what i'm doing this is what i do and yeah, so I mean, I, I I put in the work and made it happen, and did started to do the AAU stuff and all the things you got to do, and you know, also there's another, you know, you can read some of the history that I have with music too, where I grew up rapping as well, and so I started doing actually music overtook basketball for me eventually when I by the time I was 17 or 18, wow, and that's in the book too. Put myself in a position like recorded my first song back then, started to have some you know, money behind me backing from people. And I walked away from that too, because I had this unexpected and profound awakening moment with God while I was on mushrooms at 18 years old. And I said, everything that has been driving me has been my ego's ambition to be recognized by others, which is ultimately to have the approval by others, which is actually looking for my value from others. And I cannot be driven by that my entire life and ever be free. Mm. 
So there's an interesting like story that, that there's a lot to that. You can get some of the details of that in the book, but that's what I got to tell people to this day, you know, being 17 or 18 and playing basketball when I was young, it's like, all right, I just scored 35 points. I had a great game. My team wasn't that good. It was one of those things like we'll make CIF every year and lose the first round. But I was so egocentric and, you know, I didn't care. I was like, this ain't about the team. It's about me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm the opposite of Tim Duncan. He'd rather get four points and lose right. and, and exactly. win. I, I'd rather get 35 and lose. <laughs> yeah, man. Like Because the, the it's about me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ego is like an all-encompassing, you know, like it just it becomes the center of a universe and everything mm. revolves around it, right? That like mm. the self, the over inflated sense of self, which is Absolutely. interesting, right? Because now, um, you know, we have made movement and I love how you describe it as movement because I, that, I think that's what life is. I think that's what spirituality is. I think that's what the spirit is movement, right? So like we as a culture and society and, and spiritually have moved away from like, don't trust yourself because you're wicked to mm trust yourself more, like lean in more to your own um, essence, lean in more to your own like sense of value and worth and knowing, trust mm. your instincts versus like, you know, I'm wicked and wretched. You can only follow the spirit. And mm. in that is a tension, right? Of like, how do I manage trusting in my own intuition while also not allowing my ego to get me into mm. situations that I shouldn't be in. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. And, you know, one, human beings have an amazing capacity to deceive ourselves through all kinds of unconscious defense mechanisms, but the ability to trust our own knowing, our own inner compass, because, like, the alignment of the spirit that is within us and always calling us forward in our own desires and our own sense of self are much more intertwined than people realize. Mm -hmm. You know, they, there's such a, there's an art to allowing the spirit, which is ahead of us calling us forward in our own desires and drive to align. Like there's a real art and a great sense of self-awareness and a great sense of trust and risk and all these things that are required to allow us to do that. But I didn't grow up with, any religious baggage. Mm. I wasn't a wretch. I didn't grow like I, I I didn't feel guilt and shame growing mm. up. And I was I was pretty ruthless in terms of how I was living when I was young and very self-centered and just was willing to use, manipulate, objectify anybody to get what I wanted doing mm. all the things I was doing. Mm. But I didn't have the religious baggage of like I feel bad for this. So my quest for God and for truth came out of me seeing through my own illusions at a very young age, like I mentioned with sports or whatever, like, oh, what's driving this desire for greatness is actually this insecure need for approval. That's mm. what's driving this at a deep level. Mm. And, you know, the writer George Bernard Shaw says the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Mm. And that is my story of by the time I'm 17 or 18, I had everything at least in my world and the people mm -hmm. i care about and the people i'm the culture i'm a part of everything people are saying i'm supposed to have i had mm. money you know because i was just like selling weed when i was a kid so i have money and you know you're in that lifestyle and i have basketball and i have music like i'm that i'm that guy mm. compared to my friends mm -hmm. and i knew that but i'm like and i'm also just not happy <laughs> mm. i'm like there's an inner restlessness 
that I cannot, I'm so tired of waking up in the morning and doing the same thing over and over, no matter how good it looks from the outside. Cause when I wake up, I just start over and it's just, there was like a holy haunting that came from that inner restlessness that started driving me of like, well, if it isn't attention, if it isn't drugs, if it isn't this, what is happening? Like, mm. what is it? You know, what mm. is going to actually make me feel whole? What is going to make me feel alive? What is going to make me feel at peace and bring me joy that lasts? So my whole, that's why I tell people, spirituality doesn't begin with being bad. It begins with being, you know, in awe. You know, it's mm. for me, this whole thing wasn't about being right. It was about being real. Mm. That's what drove me as a kid. All I want to know is what's real. Mm. And so it allowed me when you talk like my first experience of God, all I had was the ability to trust what just happened to me. There was no youth pastors that told me you just experienced God. That was Jesus Christ, Kevin. Like no one told me that. <laughs> it wasn't like I heard a sinner or said a sinner's prayer. I didn't go to like a youth camp. I didn't even know those things existed when I was young. And it was, oh, whatever, what I just experienced was a rebirth and an actual rewiring of my consciousness and a restructuring of my, of my entire sense of self. That's what just happened to me. And I had to trust that because no one, I didn't have an exterior authority who was journeying with me like that to affirm it. So when you talk about the, the inner knowing and the trusting, it's like, well, the inner compass was my was the foundation of my faith, you know? So I, it was almost oh, yeah. like I grew up backwards compared to a lot of people who grew up with religion. Yeah, you know, for like sure. Family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can't like, I mean, uh, I even, even a, a fundamentalist has a way fundamentalist Christian that is, has a way of understanding that to some degree you have to trust yourself mm. when it comes to following a path. You know what I mean? Like it, you can't just, you can't live in this life and, 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 you know, say I heard from God. Well, you got to trust that what you heard was God. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we all have it at a certain level, this understanding that we have to trust what's within. Now, I think mm-hmm. that that is mystical. And I think that one of the things that has uh, certainly in the American church kind of, I don't know, all but died is mysticism is mm-hmm. this space that is beyond what I can explain, what I can practically speak to, what I can touch, smell, hear, feel, what I can rationalize, that thing that's just like, this doesn't actually make sense. You know what I mean? This is divine. So mm-hmm. like when you talk about the making of a mystic, like what are you, what are you, what are you talking about when you say that? What are you talking about when you talk about what a mystic is? For those that may not have any any understanding of it, what's a mystic? What is mysticism? Like, what what are what are you telling us about in this book? That'd be funny if you asked that question. You're like, your book's called "Make Him a Mystic." What are you talking about? <laughs> Just like, the whole thing. <laughs> what do you mean? What is that? What is that? What, is what are you this? talking about? What are... the 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 mystic is the one whose life is defined by direct experience of the sacred. It's a direct knowing and in an immediacy in your own heart, an immediate sense of awareness of spirit and how that spirit is with you, for you, in you, showing up as you, through you, etc. So for the mystic there, our faith is not defined by a set of beliefs we have. It is defined by that which we have experienced, tasted, and have known for ourselves. 
which is the spirit, God, universal grace, unconditional love. Not a, not not a, not as if it's a map we are looking at, but it's the actual terrain we have walked on and know for ourselves that is beyond, beneath, and before any beliefs we have about God. Mm. Like the mystic knows you are not your beliefs. You are over here deeply in what I would call in Christ. And this self has beliefs about God. It might have beliefs about reality. It might have beliefs about whatever, but it also foundationally knows that it is not those beliefs and you know, the, the, the mystic is, there's a, there, at, at the center of the universe, there is a, a universal gaze of affirmation. There's a set of eyes at the center of the universe that sees you with universal affirmation and unconditional love. That is, that is what the mystic knows for themselves and trusts and collapses into and falls into and surrenders into and lets go and allows themselves to become beyond the externally constructed self that our ego creates to gain a sense of value. I'm Kevin Sweeney, the great basketball player. Tell me I'm special. (laughs) Tell me I matter. You know, I'm Kevin Sweeney, the rapper. Like I'm the cool white guy who black people like, yes, I'm that guy, you know? So that's also my sense, you know, like that's my sense of, or it could be different. Like I'm the good kid who falls follows my parents' rules. I get straight A's. I like we all can have these exterior forms that can ground and give us a sense of self, but those are just to me those are layers of clothing that allows our ego to have a sense of identity before we actually discover the depth and essence of who we are. And they're not bad. It's just developmentally those things are good while we're growing up, but eventually I think spirit and life invites us beyond those things to discover a deep, our true self, our cosmic self, our deeper sense of self. Wow. And the, the fruit of that is, as a result, the mystic is a person who can live with no resistance and, and learn to embody pure acceptance because they've learned that it doesn't, yes, of course, the world is flawed, imperfect, broken, unjust, has people manipulating power. You don't have to go farther from our our 24-hour news cycle to see that. And somehow mysteriously can take a deep breath and let it all be exactly what it is and be like, but somehow love is still the deepest structure of all of this and, and things are okay. And then I will return and work for justice and work for healing, but I can also practice this real form of acceptance of what is before I do that. And the mystic is the one who knows that death is the key to life. It's always letting go and surrendering and a continuous laying down of those things that we think make us who we are. And we discover we're never us in the first place. And we're actually just getting in the way the entire time that job. How am I without that job? Once it's gone and you experience the death of it and you embrace all the way through not only is it not going to crush you, but it will actually make you more alive after if you do the real letting go along the way. Because who you are is always before and beneath and beyond that. So that thing was getting in the way in some ways of us knowing this deeper part of ourself. And hmm. that when we get to the belief part, the mystic is the one who does not have to hold on to anything in a white knuckling sense because experience, experientially we know we're actually being held by everything. The real freedom of faith and, and, and the mystic with God is not that I'm holding on to my beliefs like a fundamentalist, like I'll fight anybody who denies these things. Ah, no, 
the real freedom comes from not holding on to beliefs, but actually trusting that I'm being held by the source of everything. Now I'm not in control. Now my ego isn't in the driver's seat. Now it isn't about me with any sense of mastery or domination. It's actually a surrendering, a collapsing, and a falling into a larger sense of self, and it, which is to fall into the river of God the whole time. So I could keep going on, but... Oh, no, I was, I was going to let you keep going on because is, that is... <laughs> Oh my, it's beautiful. It's, it is, um, it's so rich. It's so, it rings, um, true, um, sacred divine. Hmm. It has so much space in it hmm. for experiences and movements all, all across the world and all throughout history. Hmm. Um, you know, I'm reading a book by Starhawk right now that I've been reading for some time called Truth or Dare. And it is um, a lot of the language is, is the same, even though Starhawk doesn't profess to be any sort of uh, belong to any kind of religion or religious mm -hmm. sect. But one of the things that's fascinating to me is that once um, you allow yourself to hear it, like the sound of God is everywhere. Like, mm. it's not like no one has a monopoly on it. Mm. And it's what, you know, I said in the first episode of, of this new season of Existential was that the reason I show up the way I show up on Twitter uh, is because the tradition that I've come from, which is Christianity, has tried to hold on to God and mm. claim that God is theirs. And that no one else has God, just them. And when you describe this white knuckling as holding on for dear life, um, that is something that I um, certainly don't ever want to do again with anything. Because mm. mm. you don't think for fear. It's a, it's about it's some ego, of course, but it's also I think our our position in the tribe, which is probably also ego, mm. and, and you know our mm. position in, within our within our group, within our community, within our, our, our sex and in, in our, our, like all of those things that we hold on to because we don't know what we are without them. Mm. And mm. for you to describe that there is a essence to who we are that doesn't have to hold on to anything because it's held by everything is mm. like, come on. Like, that's like, that is everything, bro. Mm. Mm. So is, so yours, is this like journey? Because, you know, mystic sounds like, you know, again, for somebody who just kind of casually listens, like, you know, you can't, where do you go sign up to be a mystic, you know? <laughs> well, there like well, a form I'll, you fill out, a test you, you take, know, like a bar exam you pass and not <laughs> mystic? You know, it, it would be a lot easier if it was mm. for, for all of us, you know, like, hey, how do I work hard enough, hustle enough, produce enough to, to get in? And the journey into love is a very different journey. You know, the the high-level CEO who works 80 hours a week to get to their position oftentimes has a very has a lot of barriers towards giving and receiving love. Well, because the energy with which the energy that is required, the grinding, hustling, grasping, and I'm not saying that's all bad in and of itself. We all have to work hard and, you know, do what we got to do to get where we are. You know, to think life doesn't just happen. We make life happen. But the working hard, grinding, grasping energy is not the same as 
being present, being open and being vulnerable and allowing myself to do nothing productive so I can actually be on the floor with my kids. I have a three and a five-year-old. And what is what they require of me to be present as a source of affirmative love is not what a corporation would require of me to produce for them, you know? And a lot of people in a, in a consumer-oriented, high-level production, you know, kind of, you know, capitalistic, you know, everything can be expendable and sacrificed towards the bottom line. That doesn't shape us and prepare us to love and be loved. It doesn't give a shit about that. You know, it doesn't mean anything. But to be a mystic, to be one who continuously surrenders and falls into and trusts love, like trust love in our culture, we've all been hurt. We've all been betrayed. We all have reasons not to trust. And, And you're saying this journey is surrendering control. No, I take control to protect myself. The, the journey towards love is a very different one. Very, this is to me, that's what gives faith its actual teeth. Mm. Faith is not, do you believe these metaphysical things about the shape of God? Faith is, can you dare to trust that you're loved? And, and, and practice this unguarded intimacy with life and the divine and to trust you're okay. That, that is that, what else? That's real faith. That's the real spiritual journey is can you, and that's, what's going to set you free. Not how certain you are of particular beliefs you have. Beliefs are helpful developmentally for a while, but they can't get you all the way towards the kind of personal joy, freedom, and peace that I believe God truly offers when we surrender more and more. So back to your question about where do I sign up? I remember an old friend of mine, we were talking one day and we started talking about silence and, you know, cause silence has been a, cons- a consistent practice for me for almost 20 years since I had that awakening moment with God. It's been almost 20 years since then, I believe cause I'm 37 now. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I'm like, if you sit in silence for, I don't remember the exact numbers, four days a week, just for 20 minutes a day, that's it. 20 minutes a day, four days a week. For five years, you'll start to get it. Meaning, when it, when the mystic always the mystics always come away with poetry. You know, I've thought before, like a long time ago, about this title for a poetry book. Like I came for silence and left with poetry. Right. So you know, the listener, you can take that around with it. You know, it's fine. <laughs> if someone comes out with that book in five years, I'm like, hey, <laughs> just put me in the acknowledgments. You know, it's well, fine. No, they, they would have they would have just fallen and collapsed into it, man. You know, they, that's they, what, I mean, that's all it is. Yeah, that's all, that's all it is. <laughs> it's a collective thing. It's right. going to pop up yeah. somewhere. Exactly. And that when the mystics come away with poetry, it's somehow in the midst of silence, solitude, listening. Paying, listening to your life. That's an important phrase for me, you know, learning to listen to your life. And so I'm like, in silence, it's the mystery of how do we continuously create space, unguard our hearts, align our minds and have our bodies calm down to actually be present enough to be loved. Man, that's a, that's a lifelong journey. You know, I mean, we, it's, it's, it's challenge to let our partners the people around us love us and they're here directly in flesh and blood. And actually I think that's the power of the imagery of the body of Christ and all of that is, you know, the best translation of the word of God is not in Greek and Hebrew. It's in flesh and blood. 
And oftentimes we need love, spirit, presence to show up, not just in, not just through, but I would say as the person next to you in flesh and blood, we have to trust it here in flesh and blood for us to even begin to be open to the possibility that there can be a direct knowing between us and spirit, you know? So the journey of the mystic is a lifelong awakening of removing the barriers within that are getting in the way of the love that is infinitely pouring itself out to us. You know, what's amazing when I was listening to you talk uh, about this is I don't know that I've ever felt um, that thing Mm. that the um, rich young ruler or the like teacher of the law felt when they both said to you know, the, the OG mystic Jesus mm. that like, when they both asked the question, what do I have to do? You know, like, like that, like when, when, when you hear such a compelling story about life or reason for being alive that makes you go, I want that. Like, I, like, how, how do I get that? And we only have the consciousness that we have when we're hearing some new information and we can only respond out of the catalog of our own, mm, like, mm. you know, uh, acceptance of the way the world works. So mm-hmm. you out of you as a capitalist, when you hear about this new way of being, you go, what, where do I go buy it? How do I, <laughs> like, like, where, how do I work for it? Right. They as mm. wealthy people went like, okay, how do I obtain this? Like, how do I get my hands on it? And Jesus mm. was always pointing to something inside, something different, but also Mm. pointing to what you just talked about, some other person in flesh and blood that Mm. was like a gateway that you would have Mm. never imagined would be a gateway. It was always like Mm. someone other, someone you hated, Mm. someone who was like, you know, marginalized, someone who was oppressed, someone who was like dirty, someone who you you could never imagine would be sacred. Jesus was going like, oh, there's Mm. your gateway to it. And mm. to the wealthy, mm. he would say, it's like going through an eye of a camel. Because what mm. got you all the stuff that you have now used to support your awareness of life is not going to help you understand what abundant life actually is. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so good. I, I have immediately have a few thoughts on that. One, when you talk about the eye of a you know, the eye of the camel or the eye of the needle or whatever. I'm like, you know, I was a pastor. I just came off. I've been a pastor for 10 years. I'm still not the best yeah. at like Bible quotes. Even yeah, though right. I have degrees and it's stuff. Like, like, I think it was. It's like an eye of a camel. I have a needle. Somebody, some kind of eye. Easier for you. There's an eye. There's something small that a camel can't get through. Whatever. But when you were saying that, I'm like, the narrow path Jesus talks about has nothing to do with who's going to heaven when they die. And it's all, all right. about who's actually awake while we live. Come on. 100%. And. The, the rich young ruler and people like that, it's, you know, when there's, when the story, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, well, just believe this and you go to heaven. That's what the evangelical answer would be. Jesus doesn't do that, which is so fascinating. And he essentially points this young, this young man to all of the things that are getting in the way of him being at peace and having joy and being present and being alive while he's here. Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, no, nah, I'm good. If I can't produce it, touch it, make it, build it, I could go on in some other ways. Like, then it's 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 just not in the 
social imagination that person has. It doesn't make any sense. And the other, you know, the the other with a capital O, you know, John Caputo, this radical philosopher, says, you know, we need the other to tell the truth on the same. You know, the other disrupts. There's a holy disruption you never wanted and realized you always needed to actually be free yourself. And mm-hmm. I'll give the listeners an example of, you know, how that actually works. I think breaks down on some psychological levels. When I grew up, when I was growing up, seeing very um, people who had who weren't fully able-bodied, you know, seeing somebody in a wheelchair, you know, if you see somebody in a wheelchair who, you know, doesn't have control of their motor skills and maybe has tubes in them and needs to be fed by somebody else, in the presence of people like that, it would make me very uncomfortable. I was just like, it could trigger a sense of like disgust in me. Like I don't want to look or whatever it was when I was young. Mm -hmm. And when I I look back on that, I'm like, well, what was happening there? Right. You know, that's, that's the gift of community. That's the gift of the other, you know, that's the gift of being in, in diverse environments is the people who irritate you are the ones who hold the keys to your freedom. hundred percent. Because that which bothers you about them actually is revealing something within you, right? That's getting in the way. Prejudices, uh, triggering trauma, you know, could be doing things like that. And when I look back on, you know, the person, the type of person I described, I'm like, that person is so vulnerable and needy and helpless And one of my greatest fears growing up in my own default patterns out of my own upbringing was being needy and helpless and vulnerable and becoming a burden to other people. Like that was one of my core narratives growing up. You just pick up, which we all have our own different versions, is somehow my presence will eventually be like an obligation and a burden to others. Like you don't really love me. You just do this because you're a pastor. You got to come say hi to me. You don't really give a shit, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that was a big fear for me was becoming a burden to other people. And, and I look back on my life and especially with like authority figures and males and whatever, it was like, I would end conversations prematurely and leave quicker because I had this unconscious fear of overstaying my welcome and becoming a burden. And that's the last thing I ever wanted was I'm the person here like, just get this kid out of here already. I'm tired. <laughs> like that was like my great and one of my greatest fears. But I look at that person in that wheelchair and I'm like, they, that fear of them being helpless or needy and needing someone to care for them, having to risk someone genuinely caring for them when you could become a burden that's one of my greatest fears. So they are drawing to the surface one of my greatest fears, and that's why they make me uncomfortable. But I need them you do. to become a mirror, to reveal, expose, and uncover that which is in me that in the end is actually getting in the way of my ability to connect meaningfully with people, to let people care about me, which is like the one thing I desire in life. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so... That's the gift of flesh and blood. And I think even the struggle of being in church, and I'm not the type who's like, people have to be a part of a local church, you know, even though I led one for 10 years. Like, I think it's good. Don't get me wrong. But I, I'm, everyone's different. Right. You know, everyone's right. not. A lot of people just aren't going to do that. 
And, you know? and, and a lot of people shouldn't. Uh, there's a lot of baggage around that, right? Like, like it's, it's the same. When you talk about our beliefs are over there, and I love that word, word picture, right? That mm. I am here, my beliefs are over here, as are my rituals and my traditions. Like, all of those things should be used as ways of connecting to the greater sense of the mm. sacred, as you mentioned earlier, to something that's holy, to something that transcends our sort of wicked ambitions that like they're only as good as they do that for us and i think what we've noticed and you've probably noticed this and in, in your movement is that a lot of religious practice ritual belief has stopped being about like helping us connect to the sacred but has become sacred in them like it's like mm. that is the end goal is that, that is I when you mistake the structure for the substance. Absolutely. And what I think for, you know, what I feel like is really unfortunate when I listen to people like you is like, man, like, how did we miss this for 250 years in the American church to where people have not heard or been able to experience this? And I say that, I mean, obviously there, I'm sure in 250 years, there are people who tapped into this and discovered this and fell into this mm -hmm. and, and lived mm -hmm. this. Um, but like in terms of the mainstream of what you would hear, how is it that we're not hearing this? Like how, mm -hmm. how much better would the world be if this was the tradition that people held to is that I am held by everything. I am loved. I am accepted. Mm -hmm. I am seen by these, these accepting eyes at the center of the universe how, I mean, what what would we be you like? Can, you cannot you cannot control, dominate, manipulate, and manage people when you give people that much freedom and access. Hmm. You know, you just can't. And you know, it's funny when you talk about like all spiritual practices; they're all fingers pointing to the moon. You know, the, they're not the point; they are pointing. Mm -hmm. to the moon the moon is life god you know your your true self unity merging with the unified field love etc they're all fingers pointing to the moon and you're right the value is the fingers are not an end in and of themselves and they are not the actual substance they are the structure that is holding to they're the container that is hopefully holding together the substance that we're actually that is actually going to free us and make us feel alive and at the end of my book in the outro i say like we keep performing, like this is like speaking of mystics, we keep performing all of the religious rituals with a subtle smile and a wink, mm. knowing that nobody needs anyone to open the door to a house they're already in. But at the same time, and this is my role as a pastor, being more than happy to give them a key. <laughs> like, think about that. No one needs to anyone else to open the doors to a house they're already in, but I'm still happy to give you the key. Because at this point in your developmental journey, you, when we talk about structures and substance, like you can't just take someone from here and give them everything at once. People grow incrementally. That's how development works. So it's like at this point in your journey, I'm like, oh, here's the key. Here's the ritual in a Christian tradition, right? We're going to get, we're going to take communion. We're going to do this, right? All these things that help, to me, God doesn't need these things from us. We need these things to actually trust the sacred. We need sure. this. We're ritualistic. Rituals are for us, not for God. Not you know? Yeah. And so I'm like, hey, here's these rituals. And when you do these things, it actually helps the person trust. I am loved. 
and accept it. That's a good thing. That's why I'm happy to give him the key. Ten years later, I'll be like, hey, you don't even need, you never even need to do that in the first place. And you know now, (laughs) but you weren't ready to hear that ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, here's the key. And ten years later, it's like, it's like the Matrix. I'm like, there is no key. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And there is no house or whatever. Because, but that's, the mystic is the one who's like, you're already in the house, but I'm still going to send out invitations. I'm still going to open the door for you. I'm still going to do this, even though the truth is you've been here and you've never left all along. I think this is so hard for, uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a generalized statement. I think this is hard for men. I think that men um, are conditioned for conquering, for winning, mm-hmm. for achieving, um, for dominating. And that's what's rewarded. In fact, I, I've said for some time, I think the United States rewards narcissism in men. <laughs> it's like what you mm. want to lead you is a narcissist mm. because somehow you feel safe or protected. This is kind of that red level of the uh, spiral dynamics that like people that people mm. want a warrior um, mm-hmm. to make them feel safe. And so they'll give over whatever my rights, my freedoms, whatever, as long as you keep me safe, I'll do that. Mm. And I think, we as men often, when we when we enter into a spiritual movement or journey, we enter into that journey as conquerors and, and mm-hmm. like like warriors. And so the idea of allowing, letting any of these passive words that are just not about me taking the bull by the horns mm-hmm. is a difficult thing for men to engage in. Mm-hmm. Like that is. So- yeah, Dude, that is, no, that is such a great insight. And those that, that kind of insight and, and the truth of what you're saying, which I believe is so true, has shaped. It's, it's something I've thought about a lot and mm-hmm. think about quite a bit because I've like I'm not just a person who's saying it's like I my wife and I led a church for 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, and so I have relationships with young men and I do this, you know, in my my time with them and. <clears throat> When you talk about the difference of like, what would the church be like if we trusted this as opposed to, you know, fundamentalists or whatever we're doing, conquering power, to me, those are all connected. And that is why when you talk about where do I sign up to be a mystic for people, (laughs) I'm like, the language of the second half of life, the language for the mystic, the path is letting go, surrendering accepting these are all things this is all actually us allowing something to happen to us and not us dominating controlling all of these things real love requires us to let go of power and to let go of control power in the sense of where your ego uses it to manipulate you know not to me there's a power that comes from embracing powerlessness Mm -hmm. which is what paul talks about to me Mm -hmm. with the gospel it shows Mm us but like who wants to do that if i say hey, we're going to go over this hill and beat somebody's ass. It's like, I can do that. Right, right. <laughs> Very right, simply. Right. But if I say, hey, it's actually about accepting, letting go of the expectations you had on name a person who's hurt you, accepting this, forgiving. These are all not passive in the sense of we don't do anything, but there's an active passive. It's an undoing and allowing things, right? Surrendering is letting go of control. Letting go is taking my hands off of something. Accepting is a taking in. These are all a different muscle, a different part of us than just 
the dominating, conquering, controlling power thing. It gets perpetuated by all the patriarchal purity culture in, in the church. And then, of course, like just the country as a whole of like, it's John Wayne and we're the, the white people who are coming to conquer and save everything. And we're what we discover in the end, we're destroying the planet and ourselves, you know? Oh God. Yeah, bro. And, but that's why the mystic, like I said, knows that death is the key to life because, mm. you know, Richard Rohr says after the age of 30, success has nothing to teach you. Wow. It's only loss, letting go. That's where you discover it's, it's, you know, Thomas Keating, this this great father of Centering Prayer in the West, talks about how he says transformation is a series of necessary humiliations to your ego. And it's, well, who wants to let go? Who wants to be confronted with their weakness? Who wants to forgive when I can just fight somebody or whatever my ego and the culture's telling me makes me strong? That's why, that's why mysticism and love and vulnerability is a tough sell. And, and, and as males... To invite people further into that is it's a challenge, you know, to get Dude. them to trust that. It's a big, big yeah. challenge. Well, it's crazy because Jesus said this thing that I think it's funny that like <laughs> he said it pretty plainly, but for thousands of years people have misunderstood it. He said, From the time of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violence take it by force. I have heard gospel songs about that being Jesus saying violence, take it by force, metaphors for spiritual warfare, <laughs> right? And the reality is Jesus is very plainly saying you can't take this by force. It mm. cannot be, it It can't, like is what you're, everything you're saying, this thing cannot be obtained through the ways that you've learned to obtain mm. things. It's not that you're invited mm. into this and you say yes. Like mm. it's the invitation is there. It's you, you don't, you don't like beat someone up to get in. You don't like bind a strong man to get in. It's just like you're mm. in it. And we just have not yet learned as a, as a whole society. And maybe we never will. I don't know. Like the letting in part, the welcoming, the inviting, the mm. like, you know, it would just, we want to take it. And dude, I, mm. I am like, so glad that you kept asking. <laughs> because <laughs> this has been a, a phenomenally, phenomenally fascinating. I had to use two like words to mm. describe what it's what it's meant to me, and so many mm. moments that I felt so rich and spoke to just where I am now in my own life, and and hopefully for folks that are listening, like where they are in their lives, and like this is a this is a beautiful, beautiful moment, man. And I appreciate you mm. you offering this to all of us. Mm, mm. Yeah, man. No, this was this was good. I'm glad. You know, I learned the hustle. My wife, my wife's a marriage and family therapist. She was a pastor as well before we closed Imagine, but she has her own practice out here. She's a therapist. But prior to that, she was in the entertainment industry. Mm. And the hustle that I learned from her when we were like in our early 20s, when I was in this, getting out of the hustle, and she was in in that part. I'm like, she she gave me the blueprint for like you just keep on knocking on people's doors and banging stuff down and you can, and you can do it and be cool with people and not, you know, be horrible, but you got, I, I know how to reach out. So now I'm glad you uh, staying in touch and I'm going to keep doing that for, for the, when the other books come out, I'm going to do it again. So yeah, man, dude, I, I mean, or, or when there's not books out, you know, like I, I think, um, you know, there is a tension to manage in the, like, 
you know, we have, we live in a system that if we're going to eat, we got to sell things or work for someone who is selling something, right? So mm. that is just the reality that we live in. And all the while trying to break out of this, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So I, I understand the hustle, ain't even mad at the hustle, but I also like, I appreciate the uh, like relationship and I appreciate mm. the content that's like book or no book. Um, these are conversations that I think the world needs to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm at a, this unique chapter in transition. Cause I mean, we just closed down our church at the end of May. So it hasn't yeah. even been two months I've talked yeah. for something we started and led for almost a decade. I know, man. So I'm so in a big transitional yeah. stage of my life. And now for me, for the next six, 12, 18 months with like, you know, multiple writing projects doing that, but the biggest one of the biggest values and drives for me is connecting because mm-hmm. my work's been so hyper-local mm-hmm. that, and I live in Hawaii and we're so geographically isolated. I mean, we're the most mm-hmm. isolated landmass on the planet, which is wow. kind of like, I'm on the edge of an island right now, the most isolated landmass. Like, I'm almost on the edge of the planet. For my flat earthers, if you were here, you could jump <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> we could can just paddle out and just never yeah. come back. You know, and who knows to see what's out there, you know? <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, the, the connections and the relationships beyond where I am are the things where I'm like, how do you with integrity form the connections and the relationships that create an atmosphere that continues to give birth to more and more opportunities for creating, co-creating and building together. So I'm with you on that, man. I'm glad we made this happen. For sure. For sure. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah. Well, folks, that was Kevin Sweeney. And uh, in the show notes of this episode is a link where you can go and find that book. You, I mean, yeah. Wow. I think you should read it. I think you should add that to your library as quickly and uh, quickly as you can. Thank you to all of you who are part of the Patreon community. All of you who rate and review the podcast and tell all your friends that they have to listen to it. Thank you for all you've done to help us contend for a better world one conversation at a time. <laughs> <laughs>